Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. Welcome back to the show. As always, delighted to be with you today. And today we're going to take a look at the secret of finding financial freedom by 40 through real estate investing. Jess Stump is an avid real estate investor, and he is the founder of Spill Properties, a property management company in Hantonville, Maryland. His diverse residential, commercial, and multifamily portfolio allowed him to reach his financial freedom number in 2022, just before turning 40 years old. So Jess, take us into the show and share a memorable experience that may have helped you to be who you are today. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to it. So memorable experience in my formative years that shaped me. You know, I was a big track and cross-country runner um, from really as far back as I can remember. My dad ran in high school, college, and I learned a whole lot about discipline and just the time and pressure aspect of dedicating yourself to a long-term goal and just watching slow results build up over over time. And I think that discipline has served me well uh, from an investing standpoint. And yeah, it just really has kind of made up uh, the way I've approached problems and goals throughout my life. Yeah, sports are uh, are a good thing to teach those kinds of responsibilities. Music's another way uh, that we can teach our children to do those kinds of things, because they all, you know, they all are skills built over time, and a lot of what we have to do in either sports or in music is tedious and not very much fun. And and the results don't come instantaneously. And that has certainly been the way my real estate experiences have been as well. So tell us, Jess, how did you get started in real estate? So in 2013, my wife and I were living in our current town, but in a, a smaller home. We had just had our first child. And like a lot of other families at that age Point. You start looking at school districts, getting into a bigger house. My wife was now pregnant with our second child. And so we started looking for properties on the other side of town that were in the, the school district that we were looking for. And we're looking and looking and ultimately found this kind of bizarre house that had essentially, if you can envision it, a 2006 two-bedroom apartment that was bolted on top of this 1950s rancher. And it was a a strange property. And so it sat on the market for almost a year. And one day we loved the location, loved, you know, it was in the right school district. And one day the gears just started turning and it was like, this place is bizarre, but if we could rent that apartment out, uh, we could actually drastically reduce our living expenses and move to this larger home in this ideal area with some compromises, right? We're going to have a tenant above us, but we've been there for 10 years and it it was probably the best financial decision that we ever made because it one, opened our eyes to real estate. We held on to our first primary um, residence as a rental and then just opened our eyes to the ways, creative ways you can leverage real estate to you know improve your quality of life, increase and generate cash flow. Um, so that was really the beginning. And 
you know, from there, we started to just invest first in single family homes, single family rentals. And after a few years, started to get into some commercial and multifamily. And primarily, the majority of our portfolio now is made up of commercial multi-unit in the town where we live. Well, that's uh, not dissimilar to the way that I found my way into real estate. I purchased a single family home and divided it into actually three units. Mm. And it just felt so wonderful not to have a mortgage payment. And, you know, I divided it up the way I wanted to. So I had largest portion of the house. And yeah, I had neighbors living right next to me, but they were all under my control. So it was a wonderful experience. Well, what are some lessons that you learned from those first deals that uh, set you up to move forward? After we bought our current home, you know, it took us a good two plus three years to save enough money to buy our first true uh, investment property, which was a single family home needed maybe, you know, $20,000 worth of work. And that went well. We uh, you know took the normal lumps of trying to find our first tenants and not really knowing exactly how to go about that. But I think the biggest thing that we learned early on was after we got that one up and say we were cash flowing, you know, $600 a month, which was was good. It just was like, this is not uh, scalable. This is going to take us forever if we stick with this approach. So that really, after we did one or two of those, it really started to open our eyes up to some different opportunities in multi-unit. As I started looking into numbers for some properties that were available, it just started to make a lot more sense for us to go in the multi-unit route from an increased cash flow standpoint. You know, every time you bring on a new property, it's another lease, it's another tenant, it's more risk, it's more roofs, more appliances, right? And so if you can uh, develop more of a multi-unit portfolio, if you're smart in how you do it and things change drastically as you go that route with regards to financing and the types of deals and contract, all of it changes. But we have found that to just be much more practical for our lifestyle and what our goals are. So that was probably the biggest thing we learned early on is one, learning the ropes through through doing it you know, with the single family route. And I highly recommend that to anybody starting out. But for us, it just got to a point where we wanted to increase the scalability of it and and maybe speed up the process a bit. And so that's what pushed us more in the in the multi-unit uh, and multi-unit commercial route. Give us some detail in terms of, of that transition. It's it, it sounds like it's very easy to do from what the from the way you just talked about it, but I'm sure there were major challenges along the way. And even though there's a lot to be learned from from going into a single family deal. And doing that as an actual investment property and renting that up and managing it and taking care of it. Wonderful lessons learned there. But you did that all on your own, with your own money, with your own time. And if you're going to scale into commercial real estate, there's a lot of other things you're going to have to learn. So what are some of those things that you had to learn along the way? Yeah. So as far as that transition, and I totally hear you. I mean, initially that was the furthest thing from our radar. Uh, It's just, you kind of have to learn as you go. Uh, We found a property that was had a residential apartment on the second floor and a commercial, well-established commercial cleaning company on the first floor. They'd been around a long time. They were kind of a mainstay in the area. So we felt good about that as a tenant. And then this second floor apartment needed renovation, You know, had existing tenants, but we saw a clear value add there. And so for us, since we knew the, the apartment 
piece that we could handle that. And as we ran the numbers, it's like, as long as we have an, a tenant in this apartment, we're breaking even. And so that was kind of that, like, you know, kick to say, hey, we, we can take this on. It's going to be a learning experience. And so, yeah, that really was what kind of moved us in that direction. You know, the commercial financing was a big eye opener at the differences, especially the unique nature of that property. I had a really hard time finding someone to lend on it. And, you know, after probably contacting 20 local, you know, and regional type banks, I finally found a good partnership with a local lender. And yeah, that was really our first foray into it. And it's just been a learning experience. You know, I think the next property from there was maybe another like a duplex but then we we fully you know did a multi unit commercial with no residential piece as our our next deal uh, something that popped up and so certainly having the residential commercial mixed use piece gave us more of a comfort level and so yeah that was how it happened for us well Jess, you you had mentioned well first of all the challenges in finding a lender for a unique property what were the challenges why were well I don't know what you say you had went through some 30 banks before you found one who would lend. What was their opposition to this particular property? Commercial lending is much more relationship-based, as I've found. Uh, you know, the bank, they're underwriting the performance of the property more so um, than, you know, your pay stubs. And they want to have a confidence level that you're going to be able to make this property perform the way that we're projecting, right? And the numbers, you know, it stood on its own as a as a good price point at its current rent roll and, and expenses. But the challenge is when you're starting out is that a bank has to have a comfort level that, yeah, that you're going to be a good bet. You're really going to be able to get this property stabilized and be able to operate it the way that you're telling them you will uh, on the performer you provide them. And so initially when I'm calling banks cold, they just, it's not, a, it was not a huge dollar value, which also is less attractive to banks. They're, you know, they're spending the same amount of time to underwrite a $400,000 loan as they are a $2 million loan. And so the price point I think was not as attractive for them. And then I'm just some young guy off the street who has no prior uh, you know, performance in, in the commercial investing realm. And so really on the commercial side of things, it's been just developing relationships and, ha- and generating a, a proven track record for being able to deliver on the promises you're making with you know, bringing these properties, renovating them, bringing them up to, to market rents and, and operating them well. Enlightened investors, if you haven't done so already, be sure and click that like button and also click that share so others can take advantage of the content. And finally, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single one of our upcoming episodes. Besides just the relationships of that, the commercial commercial loans are structured different than residential loans. Can you take us through the major differences? Yeah. So you know, most residential loans that that folks are accustomed to are typically 30-year fixed rate loans. They have very strict guidelines that are driven by Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and uh, therefore there's certain criteria. You know, it's a very similar experience as you go from lender to lender if you're looking for a 30-year fixed loan. Commercial notes can be structured many different ways. Uh, they typically will have five to 10-year uh, balloons 
meaning you know you've got a fixed rate and a, a set amortization period, um, but that note gets called in either five or ten years. And so it's important that you have a very high degree of comfort that you're going to do the necessary value add. Uh, that that property is going to be performed at a place that you're not going to be in a situation five years, ten years down the road where you're going to have a hard time refinancing uh, because that note will be called. Another big difference uh, on the commercial side is a you know, if you're buying a residential home, it is worth what your two or three neighbors up the street property sold for within the past six months. Uh, commercial property is solely uh, valued based on, you know, a multiple of the net operating income. And so your ability to make that property perform at a certain level is what's driving the value. And so you're providing the bank with a performa saying, hey, when we're stabilized, we'll be generating this much in rent revenue. These are our expenses. And this is this is how the property will be performing. You know, that property is valued based on that. And so, yeah, the goal is to have a very high comfort level that that property is going to be performing and that, you know, it'll ultimately be valued and increase in value based on uh, the additional NOI you're able to generate. Uh, Jess, you had told us about a couple of unique properties. The first one you purchased, uh, the home that you're living in now, was quite unique. And your first commercial endeavor was not totally atypical, but somewhat atypical in the fact that it was a mix of commercial and residential. So what are some of the other properties that you've been involved in? What were the uniquenesses about those properties and how have you come to find creative forms of, of streams of income from these different properties? So if I I think there's a property I, I like to, to point out that we have because I think it epitomizes the way that we view real estate. Uh, we, we typically try to look for value in places that maybe in other investors overlook. Uh, we, we purchased a property in 2020. It was right, you know, as COVID was going on and it was a really underutilized property. It had one or two long-term stable tenants that were already unique. It was a ice cream shop that had been there 30 years. There was a yoga studio that had been there eight years, but then it had some vacancy. It had a large, it's like a half acre lot in a very, you know, dense, like in our hometown, it's a dense mm densely populated areas. So half acre lots don't just, especially commercially, don't just pop up. It also had five 40 foot long shipping containers on it. So just was kind of a unique, unique property. And so with COVID going uh, on, we knew that outdoor dining was going to to be in demand for the foreseeable future. And so long story short, we we partnered with a local Food truck is well established, uh, you know, barbecue truck that's been in in our area for a long time, and we ultimately talked with him about setting up on the property. We created just some great outdoor seating, outdoor kind of dining venue with some pavilions at the back half of the property that was underutilized. Uh, we ended up creating a uh, what's called a commissary kitchen. It's a shared use kitchen that he can operate out of uh, with his food truck. But then there's you know you've heard about ghost kitchens and the like. There's there's food trucks that need kitchens to you know have their licenses and so yeah this property ended up with self storage component with the the containers we still rent those out it's got you know food truck slots that we're able to to rent out it's got shared commercial kitchen space uh yoga studio uh long standing ice cream shop it's pretty much got just about everything and 
you know, the part that we have loved about it the most has been awesome for the community. It's just been a great place for, especially during COVID, for families to be able to get out. The ice cream place already had a walk-up window. So being able to grab ice cream and eat a barbecue and have nice outdoor seating, it just was an awesome, you know, addition to the community. And and for us, that's the real win-win, you know, when you can... Mm find an underutilized property, do value add to it to not only just increase rents and cash flow for us, but something that really uh, invests back into the community and makes this town that we love a more enjoyable place to live. Well, kind of uh, take us through this, Jess. You came across this property, I guess, because you were just out looking for opportunities, I suppose. Is that how you just found it or how, how did it come to you? I actually got a call from someone that I had... Uh, tried to buy a property from previously. And, you know, as you continue to build relationships in this industry, you know, there's not a lot of people who are out looking for commercial properties like this. So it's it's a relatively small network of folks. And so I got a call and said, hey, this guy is potentially interested in selling this property. And so I reached out to him um, from there. And so you come across this property and it has two tenants who've been there for some time, a vacant lot and these trucking facilities there. How did you work through this process of conceptualizing that this could be a viable opportunity? I mean, most people would just look at that and and look at all of the risk and the liability. And because there certainly is, there's a lot of risk there in taking on any kind of endeavor, but particularly with this particular endeavor, there was not only COVID was happening, but I mean, the ice cream place is probably going to be okay. They have a walk-up window. Uh, The yoga studio was probably facing challenges in terms of even staying open through that COVID period. And then there's this whole vacant lot out there with no obvious usage to it. So how did you work through that process and how did you conceptualize a workable concept? Yeah, I mean, anytime I get presented with an opportunity, I use the phrase like it's it remains interesting to me until it's not. So I'm doing due diligence, working through numbers, continuing to look at different angles and we'll pursue that until, you know, either I have a high comfort level that this thing could be successful or I've done everything and just say, I just, there's no good way I can make this work. And so there was a number of different things originally that I liked about the property. You know, I saw some of the opportunities just because that's kind of how my mind has shifted as I started to to look into the commercial route. You know, I can see some of the positive attributes of this property and know that there was potential there. I did. I liked the long-term nature of the existing tenants. They had long-term leases. They've been, you know, fixtures for for number of years. And just that rent role alone, I felt was relatively stable. And yeah, as I uh, started to look at it and see other opportunities that made it interesting, you know, I, I reached out to the owner and because of some of these challenges and, and the nature of what was going on with COVID, I talked with the owner about uh, seller financing. And so that was a way to make the deal work when otherwise I could have had a hard time selling, even though we had had and built a, a good relationship with a commercial lender. It Due to the nature of where we were at, they, everybody was doing PPP loans uh, at the time. And the last thing people were looking to do was lend on you know, oddball commercial real estate. But yeah, I was able to work it out and find a win-win with the owner uh, who was looking to retire. And so we treated it as a partnership. And so he held the note on the property and had, you know, based on what he knew of me and, and other properties that we owned in the area, and he could see that we've 
you know, had the ability to do it. He trusted us. And so, yeah, that was really how it, how it unfolded. So you moved from just strictly investing in properties yourself into developing a property management company. Take us through the steps of going from investor to property manager. As you can tell by now, we have a very diverse portfolio of properties, very different types of tenants, different types of leases, right? We're dealing with self-storage, dealing with food truck slots, commercial kitchen shared spaces. You know, a number of years ago, it became clear to me that from a scalability perspective, right? That's what we talked about when we jumped from residential. Like I can't just keep taking on these properties and bootstrapping it and running around and picking up rent checks and hand, you know, doing leases and having things all over the place. So we made an investment a number of years ago to just say, hey, we're going to build this thing like a business, not treat it like a hobby. It's gotten too time consuming. It's gotten too real. And so, yeah, just start investing in basically the best platforms out there for managing leases, electronic payments, and just tried to build it as a business. Uh, and as opposed to keeping myself as the center cog in every decision and every conversation with tenants, started to allow some of these systems and processes to help not only re- reduce the time burden on me, but to give a better experience to the tenants, you know, who we're renting from. You know, electronic payments, electronic leasing is is a game changer for them, just as it is for us. And so, yeah, as we started to build out that platform and manage all of our properties with it, it just made sense to start offering that as a third you know, to third-party property owners because it was such a game changer for us in the way that uh, it took kind of unwieldy investments that, you know, this portfolio we had developed and made it very manageable and made it perform even better. And there's a lot of property owners who inherit properties, you know, in trusts and the like, and who love the idea of owning an asset, but are just not in it for the property management. And so we felt like that was a a good underserved market in our area. And so it just made sense. And so a number of years ago, we created Seville Properties, started offering that to third parties. I have a partner who also owns a number of properties. And so we manage our own properties with the same systems, tools, processes that we manage third-party properties with. And that's how we can guarantee a high level of service and just excellence in what we do because it's our properties are right there with it. So yeah, so that was kind of how it started and it has really continued growing and third-party properties are taking on a bigger and bigger component of of properties under management. And it's been it's been a fun, fun thing to be a part of. Just tell us how we can find you, how we can get in touch with you and how we can take advantage of what you have to offer. Yeah. So if you're interested in property management or investing in Catonsville or the just the Maryland Mid-Atlantic or you know Mid-Maryland area, uh, we're always happy to talk. You can find us uh, cvilleprops.com is our uh, website or uh, Seville Properties LLC on Facebook. Uh, feel free to reach out. We love talking about this stuff. And even if it's just to take a look at a deal or or ideas for areas to invest uh, in, in our market, we're, we're happy to talk. Well, Jess, it's been wonderful having you with us today. Very informative and pleasurable conversation. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Enlightened investors, don't go yet. I have just a couple of quick requests. You know the drill. Like, share, and subscribe. But we also need your help to build our audience, so please go to your favorite podcast app and leave us a five-star rating and review. I'll be most grateful. Until next time, prosper and live abundantly. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital. 
a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com.